Hey everyone, welcome to the Revive West Des Moines podcast. I'm Jamie Richards, the Young Adult Minister at Hope West Des Moines. What you are about to hear is the live recording from Revive West Des Moines this past week. We hope you can connect with God and the good life that God has for you through what you hear in this message. Give it a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Revive tonight. I'm so excited that you are here. My name is Jamie Richards, and I am on staff here at Hope, as at least at staff, um, on staff at Hope West Des Moines as the Revive Young Adult Minister. We have Revive at other campuses as well, and there are other Revive Young Adult Ministers that work at those campuses. And so there are so many places that you could be on a Thursday night in Des Moines, and you're here. You're here in person, or you're tuning in on the live stream, or maybe you're catching up later via the podcast or watching on YouTube, wherever and whenever it is that you you are here. We are so glad that you are here investing in your relationship with God in this community alongside this group of really fantastic young adults. So I appreciate that you are here. And I also think that God is really excited that you're here. And I know our team is really excited. So I'm also excited to welcome a good friend of mine, Michael Megason, to speak with me at Revive tonight. Everybody say hi, Megs. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Megs is a good friend of mine, and we were meeting two or so weeks ago, as we do, and this sermon that we we're talking about tonight came up, and I looked at, we like had a really good conversation about it, and I looked at him, and I was like, do you want to come speak at Revive with me about this? And so, which is sometimes how I get people to come speak at Revive. They she have no idea some... what's happening when they walk into a conversation, and then they walk away as a speaker, so. Here we are. Yeah, here we are. We are in week two of this sermon series about being unsettled. Has anyone felt unsettled today or this week? I have. Right now. Okay, a lot of you have. (laughs) What do you say? Right now. (laughs) This is very unsettling looking at all these people, right? It's probably fine. So uh, Jacob, I thought it was really funny, Jacob, who's our phenomenal worship leader, mentioned in opening worship last week that he had felt really, I don't think the word that you used was unsettled, but you were speaking about being unsettled. And I was like, oh my gosh, how perfectly thematic is that our worship leader is feeling unsettled the night that we kick off our sermon series. And I kind of was like, oh, isn't that nice? And this week I have been so unsettled. It's the worst. I'm sorry, Jacob, for the thoughts that I thought in my head last week about like, oh, he's unsettled. That's cool. It fits with our sermon series. (laughs) Oh man, this week has just felt so unsettling. I know there's a couple things that I can pinpoint. Oh, this is what's making me feel unsettled, but there are other things that just feel like it's almost like it's in the water that I'm drinking. Probably the coffee that I'm drinking doesn't help (laughs) with the feeling of jitters, but... Yeah, my mermaid tails, I know. So we are doing this whole sermon series on reactions and responses to feeling unsettled. Because as so many of you just raised your hands to feeling unsettled, we know if we had asked the same question to everyone here at Hope, to everyone here in the Des Moines Metro, to everyone in the state of Iowa, or frankly, probably everyone in the world, a lot of people would be raising their hands right now. Yes, I am feeling very unsettled in my spirit. And so we're doing this series. um, Sorry, I have a hair in my eye and I just can't get it out. So I'm going to keep picking at it. Um, We are doing this series about reactions to being unsettled. We have all sorts of different reactions and reactions I don't think necessarily are right or wrong. It's just kind of like the gut thing that we do. We have a lot of reactions to being unsettled. We're going to be taking a look at some of the reactions because sometimes they're kind of unhealthy. They're not bad. They're just like, that's what our reaction is. And what is God's 
response that God invites us into so that instead of living in these reactions that are maybe sometimes a gut level reaction that isn't always the healthiest for us, for our communities and for our world, what's God's invitation um, to lead us into? Do you have anything you want to add about responses and reactions? So my little boy is not little anymore now. He's a junior high school football player and a wide receiver and a kicker and a tough guy. And I tend to, on occasion, react, jerk. (laughs) And it seems like the invitation is always, as I was glancing at your notes, to hit the pause button. And do we have that at the ready? This word unsettled is so strong uh, when you think about what it it feels like. It's like, I'm, I'm uneasy. There's this beautiful Hebrew word called shalom, which means the demolition of chaos. So when that thing is on you, it's like, Lord, I need shalom, peace. So when your little guy or your boyfriend or whatever is uh, driving you insane, is that them or is that you? Pretty good question to maybe begin with. And I like to ask this question. It's one of my favorites. Holy Spirit, are we unsettled? Are we stressed out about this? Are we bummed out about this? And all of a sudden, I've pivoted out of a reaction into a partnership with somebody who actually knows what to do. Because most of my problems, I don't know if you know this about me, tend to stem from what I think. Mm. Like, they're what I think. I think... I'm right, and therefore, I think you should do what I think you should do. And if you don't, then therefore, you are the problem. And one of the biggest problems in the world today is I'm only okay if I think that you think that I'm okay, and then we pivot it, and and you're only okay if I think that you think that you're okay. And it becomes nothing more than an accusatorium. That's a new word. So... Writing it down. No, I'm finding my note cause, uh, on, ac- on accusation because I think it's, it's a huge part of it. The primary purpose of accusation is to introduce doubt and suspicion that leads to an invalid judgment concerning someone's true character and motives. You ever find yourself in that airspace when you're reacting? You're such a... Whoa, hit the pause button. Like... We have a value in our family that says you never get to define a person by their worst moment. Now, guess who created that value? A couple of worst moments. <laughs> Hit the pause button. So as you can see, we are off to the races. <laughs> That's the whole sermon for tonight. Good Just night, in two luck. minutes. Done. Bye. <laughs> see you later. Um, I want to go back to uh, the, the thing that you said about shalom. Will you say that again slower? So shalom is the word in Hebrew scripture for peace. Yeah. But what does it really mean? In the Hebrew, uh, it literally means the demolition of chaos. So it's like throwing dynamite into chaos and blowing it to smithereens like the beauty for ashes. Shalom literally is a person, the Holy Spirit, descending and goes like this. And he blows a kiss into chaos. And all of a sudden, peace. And you can feel it. It's literally the peace which passes human understanding, guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Because usually when I'm unsettled, I don't know about you, it starts right here. There's this roiling and I just feel a little bit uncertain and a little bit unsteady. And the double-minded man is unstable 
in all of his ways. I'm thinking this and I'm thinking this and I'm thinking this and I'm thinking this and somebody else is bringing this to me and the next thing I know. And so I have to engage the person of the Holy Spirit who brings shalom. I can't do it without him and that's the problem. We struggle, all of us, to go, I've got to do something. Like all of a sudden the accusations at me, the reaction towards myself is the problem and this huge shame pile falls on me and the Lord goes, psst, do you want to try that, you know, with a partner who can do anything, who knows everyone, who has answers? Or do you want to go ahead and keep asking those questions of your own fine self? So I love a lot of that. I wish that I was madly taking notes. I feel like my arm would have fallen off already. I saw one of the Instagram accounts that I love following is Hey Amber Ray. And as you'll see on the next slide, she, very, she recently posted these things on her Instagram about reactions and responses. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. So you'll see on the left side, when we react, there's this blue event and then the red reaction. That's reaction. When we respond, there's that same blue event, there's that same response kind of uh, thing, but there's a pause in between. And that pause is the opportunity, as people of faith, for us to say, God, can you throw some dynamite on this chaos and blow it up <laughs> and just bring a little bit of your like peace? That's the difference when we talk about reactions and responses tonight and in this message. The difference between reaction is there is no space between the event and our reaction and then response is that opportunity to take a breath, to have a hot minute, to say, what's happening here, what's happening in me, and what's happening in the situation that God wants to invite me into? The questions that she, um, hey Amber Ray, or just Amber Ray, um, suggests you can see on the right side, the power of the pause. And these aren't necessarily faith-based questions, but they're absolutely, they can be faith-based questions when you ask God, God, can we ask these questions together? First question being, this is just space to wonder, am I being defensive? Yes. <laughs> the answer is probably yes, <laughs> but yeah, why? Uh, I was just defensive this week to somebody that I really care about. We were having a really good conversation and they said something and all of a sudden I was like, Jamie, you're being a jerk right now. Why are you being so defensive? And I even think about like taking all of the defensiveness off of me in conversations on a pretty regular basis. And so it's a sneaky little bugger. Anyway, number one, am I being defensive and why? Number two, what am I making this mean? Mm. What meaning am I making out of this? What story am I telling myself based on this sort of thing? Somebody says something, it triggers something in you. The story is you think I'm so blah, blah, blah. And so now I have to make sure that you know that I'm not blah, blah, blah. What am I making this mean? Number three, what am I feeling and why? Check in. Am I angry? Am I sad? Am I scared? Am I joyous? Am I feeling empowered? Why? Number four, what do I need right now? And number five, what do I value? Because usually the things that you react about, somebody has trespassed a boundary, somebody has said something that you disagree with, there's something in there that you value and you feel like that is at risk in this conversation or in this interaction. And so um, then the question it becomes, how can I respond mindfully? And also how can I respond with the dynamite shalom of God? Yep. Light the fuse. Yes, exactly. James 1.19, it says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. 
My sister's been a counselor for 30 years and she's visiting me and I wish she was here tonight because I'd call her out because she's fantastic. But one of the things that she has taught me is that anger, angry people are dealing with their hurts alone. One of the things that's so majestic about communities like Revive, leaders like Jamie, I was downstairs in the pregame with the team, is they won't, don't, can't leave you alone. So refuse, refuse the invitation to stay alone with your hurt, with your loss, with your mourning. The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall receive comfort. Comfort doesn't fix, it just says I see and I care. It's the easiest thing in the world. The prayer team will teach you how to bring comfort, right? You show up and you go, tell me your name. Tell me your story. That's literally mourning with somebody. Anybody have any, anything that they're disappointed about since, I don't know, maybe late 2019 uh, through yesterday afternoon, this morning? You good? Okay. <laughs> so it's like, uh, I took my son out uh, on a long road trip about eight weeks after uh, they'd been pulled home from COVID and I just got a nudge and I said, son, tell me what you're disappointed about. And he burst into tears and he talked for 75 minutes. And he goes, Dad, I didn't get to do the, I didn't get to go and, and hit the top of the thing and say goodbye to any of my teachers. And I, didn't, and I didn't get to say goodbye to my coach and they canceled the season. It was just like, you're gone. And I was eight weeks late. Because mm. you know what? Somebody else was feeling just a little hurt in their aloneness for not getting to do the quality things that I wanted to do too. And so take it easy on yourself, but take it easy on yourself in Community. It's one of the greatest strategies for quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Jamie goes, Meg, you seem a little torqued today. You, you're going to be all right? And it's like, no, no I'm triggered. Why are you saying that to me? Also, you about fell over during opening worship because it was just so good and that was really fun. <laughs> it was so thick in here. I was like, Lord. Yeah, that's the, that's the worship team for me. Love yeah. you guys. Such a, such a blessing. That was awesome. So, um, one of the thing, the thing that we're talking about tonight, I'm going to just be really specific about. And before we be really specific about that, I want to give you some broad strokes about this whole sermon series. So you'll see um, on the next screen, there are several reactions to feeling unsettled. Mm. Megs has already talked about a couple of them and named them. We've kind of danced around some of them. We kind of talked about some of them last week. Some of the main reactions that we're going to talk about in this series are lashing out, how lashing out is a reaction to feeling unsettled, numbing out, being in denial, it's not happening, God's in control, everything's going to be fine, control, arrogance. Arrogance is the one that was the trickiest for me to put my finger on when I was planning this sermon series, and somehow it came up in conversation and I realized, oh my gosh, arrogance is one of the key reactions that I've seen as a young adult in our culture right now to feeling unsettled. And that's the one that we're talking about tonight, which is why I asked Megs. Because I'm haughty as can be. <laughs> the so, most arrogant person she knows right here. She's, <laughs> could we get like an, a sample? <laughs> Megs and I have had great conversations <laughs> about uh, arrogance. And you have been on a, a really interesting journey of unraveling arrogance in your life. And before we get to that, um, I'm going to ask you to talk about that in a moment. Here's how I see arrogance presenting itself as a reaction to being unsettled. The world is so unsettled right now. If only everyone would just blank. And because everyone is not just blank, they're the ones who are screwing the whole thing up. 
Let's blame them because they're not doing this thing, whatever the blank is, that I think we need to do. So I'm going to be arrogant AF about it. I'm going to tell everyone exactly what you need to do and exactly why you're so wrong for she not doing it. Means. I said it. I she said it. She taught me what that means. It was awesome. <laughs> I didn't know. I was like, oh. oh. And... <laughs> The thing about this arrogant response is that it applies to politics, it applies to voting, it, it applies to vaccines, it applies to all of these things that are such hot topic issues right now. Also, side note, if you look throughout history at what the hot topic issues are, they shift and they change. They're not always the same hot topics. Right. We, we kind of roll through them. Um, when we're done with one, we just move on to something else. It relates to neighborhood disputes, something goes wrong you name it. And so this spirit of arrogance that somehow I know something that you don't, and that makes me somehow better. That makes me somehow more superior. And so I can just feel super great up here on my throne looking down at all of you because I know the thing. I know the solution. I know the silver bullet. I know the thing that all y'all, if all y'all would just do the thing, then everything would be fixed. And because you're not doing it, well... Dragon lady on Game of Thrones at the end. <laughs> Not to ruin it. Not to ruin it. So, arrogance, well, before we get into kind of peeling back the layers behind some arrogance, would you be willing to share some of the things uh, that sure. you shared with me about sure. arrogance with these lovely people? I've uh, wrestled with it from time to time. About four years ago, my wife and I were sitting in uh, a bar in Las Vegas, a restaurant having dinner. I looked up and there was this... <laughs> incredible wall of um, skulls. It's like a, a giant pictorial of the Day of the Dead. Did you say s scrolls it, or it, skulls? Skulls, excuse okay. me. Enunciation is also a struggle sometimes. <laughs> so it was literally 40 feet long, 10 feet tall. Uh, it's out at, at uh, the Aria Resort. And I'm looking at it, and usually I'm the spiritual guy in there. I'm going, I'm going to get out of here. Like, this isn't good. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, stay with it for a minute. You're going to need those. I'm like, all right. And my wife looked at me, and she said, is there anything you'd like to leave in Las Vegas? And I said, yes. And she said, I was kidding. And I said, I'm serious. We had a big deal. I sell commercial real estate as a broker in my spare time, and a huge transaction was promised to me before I took my family to family camp, and uh, they reneged and went with buyer number two, and I was a little, what's the word I'm looking for? Peeved. Unthrilled. So, <laughs> she said, sweet, unsettled. It was just like... And my wife looked at me like only my wife can look at me. We've been together 20 years this December, and she said... You sometimes don't take very well what I'm about to tell you. How rude. <laughs> and I, I've, I felt the Holy Spirit, and I, I just heard myself say this. I always know it's him when that happens. And I said, well, I will tonight. He's given you eyes to see my blind spots. Whatever it is, I'll do it. And she goes, you used to blame God when things didn't go the way you wanted them to. Now you just blame your clients. I'm not doing that. So I set, I set off on a journey of discovering self-pity, accusation, critical spirit, uh, haughtiness, arrogance, pride, self-loathing. I mean, there are at least 60 other things in there, which led into learning how to stop complaining. 
So I stopped complaining back in, I think, 2017. And when I say I stopped complaining, what I mean is I've been learning to stop complaining ever since because so many things are complaining. This last year, I discovered politics was one of my little hot buttons. I don't know if any of you have struggled with that. But about halfway through the summer, my wife looked at me and she said, I don't know if you know this, but pretty much every week on, um, on the hour, I feel like my voice is becoming less significant in this house. <laughs> that's not good. That's not, that's not what I'm called to, guys. That's arrogance, right? My opinion matters loudly. I'm a steamroller. Anybody who knows me will say, I've been in sales a long time. I know what I think, right? But there's a difference between the righteous are as bold as a lion and haughtiness and arrogance and, and someone who, who doesn't speak from God's heart. And so I'm on a political fast, which is delicious, by the way, because you get to avoid every conversation you don't want to have with anybody. You can blame God, and it's perfectly, it's perfectly perfect. It's like, I'm, I'm sorry, when I say a fast, what I mean is uh, the biblical word for fast uh, is to cover the mouth. It also means to close it. And I was thinking uh, out loud with my sister this afternoon, talking about this time and some other things we were, we were on about, and I realized that um, when Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting, talking about a demon, he may have been talking about this kind comes out by prayer and covering your mouth. Jesus was somebody who only did what he saw the Father doing. I think we think fasting is always no sandwich. It's not. Sometimes it's cover your mouth. Stop speaking. Stop tweeting. Stop texting. Stop engaging those things. If it isn't bringing life and life more abundantly, it's suspect. If it's not encouraging, if it's not tender, and those became some of my favorite things until God goes, stop it, stop it. It's not what you're to do here. And so it's been so much fun. Uh, I'm, I'm getting expert at it because I've been practiced at it for a little while now. Uh, and anytime anybody wants to engage a topic of conversation that feels like I'm gonna get naughty with, <laughs> Let's be honest, if you've been anywhere near my Thursday morning Bible study, you know that's most topics. Pause. I, go, oh, I can listen, but I can't, I can't speak. I've been I'm kind of been on a moratorium for that sort of thing. And I thought I was going to do it for a few weeks, but it turns out I'm just going to do it. Mm. It's kind of like giving up complaining. I was going to do it for a little while, and it's like, why do I want to pick that back up? It's like smoking. So... I think you gave up complaining for Lent a couple years ago. I did? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I asked Megs what he thought about something the other day, and he looked at me, he's like, I'm fasting. And I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, I'm fasting from talking about politics. And I was like, oh, this just got deep real fast. <laughs> so when we talk about arrogance, when we start to peel back the layers of what is arrogance, there are several things that I think are underneath, and I looked at a lot of like psychology today, articles, whatever. You see a lot of this in scripture as well. There's three to four main things that we're just kind of breeze through, and I want you to just think about how you have seen these show up, not only in people around you, that's the easy part, to think about how this shows up in you. Hmm. And so one of the first ones is fear. I think there's fear underneath arrogance of... What happens if I'm wrong? What happens if I don't know? 
What happens if the world is so unsettled that no one actually knows, then we all just are going to like rock in a corner until we die. Give me something to hang on to and I will make this thing that I can hang on to the steering wheel that drives me out of the fear of being unsettled. That if I have this thing, may or may not be true, if I have this thing that I can hold on to, at least I will feel a little bit more in control, at least I will feel slightly more settled. I think it's also fear of the world just not feeling the way that it used to. Nostalgia is one of the most powerful, potent emotions that human beings can experience. And often, when we are feeling nostalgic for something or about something, we kind of look at something in the past with some rose-colored glasses. It's often a little bit better in our memory than it was to live through. And so when we have fear of the world not being normal, the way the world is different than it used to be, we can idealize and sometimes idolize what the past was and think, if only we can make life feel normal. If only I can do something that will make me feel like that is my past is my present again. I also, so in addition to fear, I also feel like a huge part of another layer is grief. Mm. That grief is grieving that that my life is different than it used to be. There's grief that my life isn't what I thought it should be or that it was going to be. That doesn't resonate with young adults. Most young adults that I talk with are like, I thought I was gonna graduate. That might be the first chuckle. I thought I, thought I was gonna graduate. I thought I was gonna get my dream job. I thought I was gonna have a really awesome apartment. I thought I was going to meet the love of my life as soon as I was out of college or maybe in college. I thought all of these different things. And I just, I'm not there. And so I'm in the depths of despair. And what do I do? There's grief about life being different than we thought it was going to be. And so there's some arrogance about, well, maybe I can just say this and make this thing happen and just feel like I can create this reality around myself um, that'll make everything better. Pastor Richard calls that the idolatry of expectations. And if you don't know Pastor Richard, corner him sometime, he's a hoot. You sang, your praise will ever be on my lips, right? What if we do that instead? When I gave up complaining, I I quickly realized that I couldn't just stop complaining because uh, there was a little vacancy there. Turns out in my life, there was a huge vacancy there because there was a lot of complaining. And so the Holy Spirit was kind to give me this phrase. There's a scripture that says, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. But he stopped it for me and he said, the Lord inhabits, two words, not one, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Thank you, Lord, for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for these folks. Thank you, Lord, for Jamie. Thank you for the invite. Thank you that we have about two minutes left and I went long and you're gonna clean this up. Amen. We're just going to go a little longer, and that's the Jamie call. Fair enough. Hey, if you want to call an audible, you've come to the right store. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Fair. So uh, the Wild E. Coyote clip that you saw at the beginning. Anybody grow up watching Looney Looney Tunes? Okay, a lot of hands. I love Looney Tunes. Wild E. Coyote is one of my favorites. Maybe you thought we just watched some Looney Tunes for fun and then we were just never going to talk about it again, which could be fun. (laughs) And that would have been perfectly all right. 
The reason that I showed you that clip is this. So as you know, Wiley Coyote often gets himself into situations where he's chasing a bird who can fly, Roadrunner, off a cliff. Roadrunner can just do the Roadrunner thing and live. Beep, beep. <laughs> beep, beep. And, uh, and be fine. Wiley Coyote does not realize that he has run off of the cliff and there's nothing holding him up. And then is, but he'll keep going. And he'll keep going until he realizes that there's nothing underneath him. And then he's like, oh no. <laughs> and then poof. One of my favorite TED Talks that I've ever seen is about the idea of being wrong. I don't remember exactly what she calls it. Something like she's a wrongologist or something like that. And this idea of, uh, that she talks about in her TED Talk is about being wrong feels exactly like being right. Here's what she means by that. If you're wrong and you realize that you're wrong, you'll probably do something to change that so that you (laughs) more closely align with whatever is quote unquote right um, or is true or whatever. But if you do not realize that you are wrong, you think that you are right. And so you think you are right and you think that the other people might be wrong. You might be wrong. You see where I'm going with this? Feeling right and feeling wrong. Uh, let me back up. Being wrong can feel the exact same as being right until you realize. And, and there's, some really, there's a really interesting relationship there with being wrong, not realizing that we're wrong, and the arrogance that we feel. And not to say that arrogance is what carries Wiley Coyote off the cliff. Sometimes it's just like, he just has lost, yeah, perspective. (laughs) He's hungry, whatever. But I wonder, as we start mining about in what arrogance looks like in our reactions, what might be a more faithful response? And so the thing that we have talked about a lot is humility. Humility is basically the opposite, biblically, of arrogance. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, like you're somehow less than everyone else, is just thinking less of what you think all of the time. And so Jesus is the perfect example of humility for us. You have said some really awesome things to me about humility and what that process has been like for you to move from a place of arrogance into humility. Can you share about that a little bit? Sure. So about 14, 15 years ago, the Holy Spirit pulled me aside and he said, I want you to write out Proverbs 22, four, 22 times. It's like, all right. And I'm like seven times in, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. My hand's tired and I'm bored. And the Holy Spirit says, you think it's boring, don't you? And I go, tough to pull one over on you. And he says, uh, I think it's boring too. And I saw a giant oil well drill going straight into the ground and it was boring It was drilling for something that I didn't understand yet. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And everybody wants riches and honor and life. Be quick about it. There's a process to it. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord. Echoes of the same thing. The fear of the Lord is a reverence for what he thinks and prefers in comparison to what I think and prefer. What I think and prefer equals pride. What he thinks and prefers is a revelation, right? How do I ever come into the knowledge that God has for me? Relationship. How do I ever do that? I get to lay down what I think. Because he tells us very plainly in scripture that his thoughts 
are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. So if I'm approaching something that is like my thoughts, I'm probably hosed. AF. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the principles that Jamie touches on is so profound. There's a great book out called Leadership and Self-Deception, and one of its premises is this. If you're a leader, or anyone, and you're deceived, and you don't trust anyone more than you trust yourself, oh yeah, you can fill in that blank. You're deceived. If you're deceived, you don't trust anybody more than you trust yourself. Good luck. And that is the state of the world today, folks. Hate to tell you, I spent a lot of time in that particular valet. Because when I think something that is really powerful, see, I've been on a fast for a few weeks, so I'm very confident here, I'm not arrogant, I've learned the difference in this season. My confidence is this, this fast has actually loosed the bonds of wickedness in my haughty and arrogant approach to what I think about everything. And you know what the kicker was? You're going to love this, the tongue. Because once you give voice to it in any fashion, guess what? You've officially joined in the reindeer games. Power, life, and death is in the tongue, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So my question for all of us is this. My question, God's, God's question for me is this. What are you allowing and inviting to overflow your heart? And how are you ever going to flush that thing? Because it's a spiritual issue. The Holy Spirit's shalom is a magnificent cleansing agent. The living water of the Holy Spirit pouring through. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Confession. Like pulling a friend aside and going, I can't get this off me. I think this all the time and they won't do it. And I want them to so bad. It's driving me crazy. And it's like, Controlling people are trying to deal with their fear alone. God invites us to surrender control. (laughs) So, Pastor Jeremy shared with me a Facebook post that he saw recently uh, by a hopester, a person who attends here at Hope, who is a local doctor and a surgeon. And I'd like to just share a part of that with you. Um, and there's two slides with this on it. So, and it's, it's kind of death by PowerPoint. This is about half of it. I'm just giving you some of my favorite parts of highlights. So it's really small. I'm gonna do my best to read. You can do your best to read along. So this doctor writes one thing. This is his first Facebook post ever. He, at the beginning, he's like, I don't know if I'm doing this right, but this has been on my mind. I haven't ever posted. Now I'm posting in COVID. Everyone's posting about COVID, but like this has just been on my mind. He says, one thing that has really perplexed me throughout this whole pandemic, though, is the lack of humility, namely the lack of humility when it comes to expert opinion. I like to travel. Do I get on the tarmac and inspect the mechanics of the plane or discuss the flight plan with the pilot or tower? Nope, I'm not an expert in that. I have the humility and faith that these people are experts and will get me where I need to be safely. I like a nice yard. Do I tell my lawn care company how much nitrogen and weed control to use? Nope, I don't have the time to devote to learn about that. I will leave it up to the lawn care expert. I hope I never get sued. Would I defend myself in court with a total lack of legal knowledge? Nope, I'll leave that up to the legal experts. When my car needs fixed, do I tell the mechanic how to repair it? Nope, I know nothing about auto repair. 
Do I walk around espousing on COVID-19 and vaccinations and posting constantly about it? Nope, I'm not an infectious disease doctor or pulmonologist slash critical care doctor. I get it. Frustration about closing schools and businesses, social distancing, limiting travel, using masks, etc., etc., is understandable. The benefit and philosophy behind some of these things are not black and white. The thing I don't understand is this distrust of expert health uh, care providers and the lack of humility. And then uh, I skipped a little bit, and then this is part of how he wraps up. Mm. Yes, things change. The virus changes, data and statistics change, discoveries change, new information changes. One thing that doesn't change is the expertise of the scientists, infectious disease doctors and pulmonologists. I'm a doctor and I think I'm a pretty good one. One could even say an expert at surgery, but when it comes to my kids' health, I'm going to follow my pediatrician's recommendations. When it comes to a vaccine, I'm going to follow the generally accepted recommendations of the experts. And when I start to see a brown spot on my lawn, I'm calling my lawn care guy. So (laughs) this is not like a hope official stand on vaccines and all these things. Please don't read it as that. What he is saying, the heart of what he's saying, I really love. It is humility. I'm not an expert. I will therefore listen to people that, are, that have devoted their lives to these other things like lawn care. I'm not, a, I'm not somebody who deals with garbage. I take my garbage out and it just disappears. Thank God, right? Like I, do, I don't even wanna think sometimes about the science of landfills and all of that, right? The point being, I think we just need a God-centered, love-driven reality check on our arrogance and on our humility. And the thing is, most of us don't walk around thinking, I'm a really arrogant person. <laughs> most of us walk around thinking generally pretty good things about ourselves. Or unless you're, you're a really arrogant person. Yeah. <laughs> we go around thinking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm wondering is, if this verse from the book of James could be written to us today, what might the spirit of God and cover in our life. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. If God is the expert on the human heart, on the human experience, on helping us to encounter the spirit of God that loves us so much that it won't leave us as we are and will work in us and through us not only to transform us but to use imperfect uses to change the world If that is the expert that we are saying this to, we can trust when we say, when the author of James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. It's not necessarily an if then, it's a spiritual posture of what happens when we let go of control, when we let go of arrogance, when we let go of that feeling of defensiveness that we can tell stirring up in us and we cannot wait to just demolish that person's opinion either to their face or behind their back. Sometimes one or the other is a little bit more fun depending on the circumstance, right? And so I invite you, Revive, to reflect. We didn't spend as much time on humility. We spent a little bit more time on the arrogance because that was just really fun. <laughs> Pretty delightful. Um, instead of us speaking about humility, I'm gonna... Um, have a little bit of time for the worship team to play and for you to just simply spend some time with you and God in the space of your heart, in the space of your mind, to ask yourself, God, if we're going to walk through these two questions together right now, just in the quietness of our hearts, what are you going to bring to me? So we're going to pray. We're just going to open this space and ask for God to move. And then I invite you to reflect on these two questions. God, where am I walking with arrogance? Like, where am I literally walking down a sidewalk with arrogance next to me and we're like doing life together? 
Where am I walking with arrogance? And then secondly, God, where are you inviting me to humble myself? Maybe it's in an area that we've talked about tonight. Maybe it's in an area that we haven't addressed at all, but you feel like God is just kind of bringing it to you. Or maybe you're not even to that point of like, oh yes, God is bringing this thing to my attention. It's just something that you can't kind of get out of your head. Just kind of feels like a tug at your heart or a tug at your gut. Maybe there's a part of your body that feels a little bit uncomfortable and that's where you're holding some anger or some defensiveness or something. The way that God gets our attention is in all sorts of different ways. Whatever, whatever's happening for you, just pay attention to it. So let's pray, and then we'll take a couple minutes for you to ask God these questions. God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you that Scripture says it is your love that leads us to change our behavior. It is your kindness that leads us to change our minds. It's not your anger. It's not your wagging your finger at us. It's not you forcing us to think differently by making us robots. God, it is your love in relationship with us that brings us to a place where we change our minds, where we change our hearts. So God, in the quietness of our minds and our spirits as we sit here tonight, God, would your Holy Spirit come? Would your Holy Spirit point out to us where we are walking with arrogance, where you are inviting us to humble ourselves? And God, would you give us the courage to say yes to what it is that you're laying on us? God, give us the courage to look at things that might be a little bit uncomfortable for us to think about, but know that if you are looking at this with us, there's going to be no judgment. There's, knowing, there's not going to be retribution. You're excited to get into the weeds of our lives with us, God. We ask that you'd speak to us now. We love you. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. Revive West Des Moines happens every Thursday night at Hope in West Des Moines, and we'd love to connect with you on social media. So find us and let us know where you're listening from. And whenever you're in town, we would love to have you come to Revive and join us live. Peace out, Scouts.